Hello and welcome to the last week of the Artist's Way series on the Sacred Ordinary podcast. It's been such an honor and a blessing and life-transforming uh, period to share and participate in this book and its tasks and activities. And uh, I'm so glad that I get to um, share it with you guys and to see that you guys are following from all around the world. So I hope you've had an amazing week 11. Starting week 12 and our last week uh, with the title of Recovering a Sense of Faith. And um, I remember one time one of my friends who <clears throat> seemed like a quite like a worldly person, but he was also very deeply spiritual. Um, and he was younger than me, so in a, for a while I wasn't really taking into account um, his wisdom and his insight. <laughs> but uh, he definitely earned my respect. And one of the things he told me was that I need to recover my sense of faith, basically. And it's super, super interesting to have come years after th that conversation and uh, coming to this place and finishing this book and um, understanding how that has been very true. And he was also very creative. He is, I mean, he still is alive <laughs> and living is also a very creative player, person besides everything else. So I do think that this is something uh, quite a lot of us um, have been, uh, I don't want to say struggling with, but have been kind of searching for because a spiritual path is obviously is also a path of faith and trust into something that we don't see with our eyes. And this is basically um, what we're going to discuss in this chapter. So she explains, in this final week, we acknowledge the inherently mysterious spiritual heart of creativity. We address the fact that creativity requires receptivity and profound trust capacities we have developed through our work in this course. We set our creative aims and take a special look at last-minute sabotage. We renew our commitment to the use of the tools. First part, first part is called trusting. There is a quote in the beginning by Mickey Hart, the Grateful Dead drummer, that says, adventures don't begin until you get into the forest. That first step is an act of faith. Creativity requires faith. Faith requires that we relinquish control. This is frightening and we resist it. Our resistance to our creativity is a form of self-destruction. Why do we do this? In order to maintain an illusion of control, depression like anger and anxiety is resistance and it creates this ease. This manifests itself as sluggishness, confusion, I don't know. The truth is we do know and we know that we know. Each of us has an inner dream that we can unfold if we will just have the courage to admit what it is and the faith to trust our own admission. The admitting is often very difficult. A clearing affirmation can often open the channel. One excellent clearing affirmation, sorry, one excellent one is, I know the things I know. Another is, I trust my own inner guide. Either of these will eventually yield us a sense of our own direction, 
which we will often then promptly resist. So it's kind of easy to hear this, to hear somebody in some way telling us that, oh, you know, you know that you know, but we look and sometimes it's kind of blurry and we can't distinguish and there are no specifics because, you know, we've kind of, um, you know, so, so it's hard. It's hard when somebody says, you know, but then uh, you feel inadequate to look at within and to kind of find confusion. So I'd say kind of hold on with that thought and let's continue. There's a quote by Miles Davis. It says, do not fear mistakes. There are none. This resistance is really very understandable. We're not accustomed to thinking that God's will for us and our own inner dreams can coincide. Instead, we have bought the message of our culture. This world is a veil of tears and we are meant to be dutiful and then die. The truth is that we are meant to be bountiful and live. The universe will always support affirmative action. Our truest dream of for ourselves is always God's will for us. It's quite godly, right? <laughs> the late great mytho mythologist Joseph Campbell wrote, Follow your bliss and doors will open where there were no doors before. It is the inner commitment to be true to ourselves and follow our dreams that triggers the support of the universe. If we look back at the times when the world seemed to be a capricious and untrustworthy place, we see that we were ourselves ambivalent and conflicted in our goals and behaviors. Once we trigger an internal yes by affirming our truest goals and desires, the universe mirrors that yes and expands it. There is a path for each of us. When we are on our right path, we have a sure-footedness. We know the next right action, although not necessarily what is just around the bend. By trusting, we learn to trust. So, yeah, so I love how she, first, like, she talks about we know and there's a sure-footedness and this and that, and then you're, like, all panicked. You're like, but I don't know. I don't know what the sure... So... There And then she ends by saying that by trusting, we learn to trust. So basically, part of it is also accepting the fact that wherever you are is where you are and trusting that and accepting it. So first of all, like that sure-footedness starts with the sense of acceptance at, at times, you know, to just realize, okay, this is where I am and, and just kind of surrendering, allowing, accepting to where you are to be what it is instead of panicking or trying to change it or trying to you know find more answers somewhere because you feel like you don't see it and generally those inner visions and intuition or just whatever whispers the you know let's say quote unquote right path is a, a subtler kind of voice or vision or knowing that comes after we relax into this moment and allowing it to be and we accept it for what it is first rather than kind of panicking and trying to thinking we need to be creative or we need to find some answer or we need to have a sure-footed you know um next step or something like that next part is called mystery creativity like human life itself begins in darkness we need to acknowledge this all too often we think only in terms of light 
And then the light bulb went on and I got it. It is true that insights may come to us as flashes. <clears throat> it is true that some of these flashes may be blinding. It is, however, also true that such bright ideas are preceded by gestation, period. Gestation? <laughs> that is interior, murky, and completely necessary. We speak about ideas as brain children. What we do not realize is that brain children, like our babies, should not be dragged from the creative womb prematurely. Ideas like stalactites and stalagmites form the dark inner cave or consciousness. They form in drips and drops, not by squared off building blocks. We must learn to wait for an idea to hatch. Or to use a gardening image, we must learn to not pull out ideas up by the roots to see if they're growing. Mauling on the page is an artless art form. It is fooling around. It is doodling. It is the way that ideas slowly take shape and form until they're ready to help us see the light. All too often, we try to push, pull, outline, and control our ideas instead of letting them grow organically. The creative process is the process of surrender, not control. Mystery is at the heart of creativity. That and surprise. All too often, when we say we want to be creative, we mean that we want to be able to be productive. Now, to be creative is to be productive, but but by cooperating with the creative process, not forcing it. Albert Einstein has a quote, the most beautiful thing we can experience is the mysterious. As creative channels, we need to trust the darkness. We need to learn to gently maul instead of churning away like a little engine on a straight head path. This mulling on the page can be very threatening. I'll never get any real ideas this way, we fret. Hatching an idea is a lot like baking bread. An idea needs to rise. If we poke at it too much at the beginning, if you keep checking on it, it will never rise. A loaf of bread or a cake baking must stay for a good long time in the darkness and safety of the oven. Open that oven too soon and the bread collapses or the cake gets a hole in it in the middle because of all the steam has rushed out of it. Creativity requires a respectful reticence. Trusting this slow and seemingly random drip, we will be startled one day by the flash of, oh, that's it. The imagination at play. When we think about creativity, it is all too easy to think arts with a capital A. For our purposes, capital A art is a scarlet letter branding us as doomed. In order to nurture our creativity, we require a sense of festivity, even humor. Art, that's somebody my sister used to date. We are an ambitious society and it is often difficult for us to cultivate forms of creativity that do not directly serve us and our career goals. Recovery urges our re-examination, re 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 
definitions of creativity and expanding them to include what in the past we called hobbies. The experience of creative living argues that hobbies are in fact essential to the joyful life. Then too, there is the hidden benefit that they're also creativity, creative, creatively useful. Many hobbies involve a form of artist's brain mulling that leads to enormous creative breakthrough. When someone is panicked halfway across the bridge into a new life, repotting plants into larger and better containers, for example, quite literally grounds that person and gives him or her a sense of expansion. Spiritual benefits accompany the practice of a hobby. There is a release into humility that comes from doing something by rot. As we serve our hobby, we are freed from our ego's demands and allowed the experience of merging with a greater source. This conscious contact frequently affords us the perspective needed to solve vexing personal or creative conundrums. It is a paradox of creative, creative recovery that we must get serious about taking ourselves lightly. We must work at learning to play. Creativity must be freed from the narrow parameters of capital A art and recognized as having much broader play. That word again. As we work with our morning pages and artist dates, many forgotten samplings of our own creativity may come to mind. For example, I've forgotten all about those paintings I did in high school. I loved painting those flat in drama tech. I suddenly remembered I played Antigone. Who could forget her? I don't know if I was any good, but I remember I loved it. I used to tap dance. I know you can't believe it now, but I was something. There's a quote from a painter. For me, a painting is like a story which stimulates the imagination and draws the mind into a place filled with expectation, excitement, wonder, and pleasure. As we write, digging ourselves out of denial, our memories, dreams, and creative plans all move to the surface. We discover anew that we are creative beings. The impulse cooks in all, us all, simmering along all the time, without our knowledge, without our encouragement, even without our approval. It moves beneath the surface of our lives, showing in bright flashes like a penny in our stream of thought, like new grass under snow. We are intended to create, refurbish, we refurbish a dowdy kitchen, tie bows on a holiday cat, experiment with a better soup, etc. As gray, as controlled, as dreamless as we may strive to be, the fire of our dream will not stay buried. The embers are always there, staring in our frozen souls like winter leaves. They won't go away. They're sneaky. We make crazy doodles in a boring meeting. We post a silly card on our office board. We nickname our boss something wicked. Plant twice as many flowers as we need. We sing in the car, slam down the phone, make lists, clear closets, sort through shelves. We want to do something, but we think it needs to be the right something, by which we mean something important. We are what's important. And the something that we do can be something festive, but small, like 
Dead plants go. Mismatched socks bite the dust. We are stung by loss, bitten by hope. Working with our morning pages, a new and gouty life takes form. Who bought that azalea? Why the sudden taste of for pink? Is this picture you've tacked up a you you're going toward? Martin Buber says, play is the exaltation of the possible. She continues, the clock is ticking and you're hearing the beat. You stop by a museum shop, sign your name on a scuba diving sheet and commit yourself to Saturday mornings in the deep end. You're either losing your mind or gaining your soul. Life is meant to be an artist state. That's why we were created. Escape velocity. My friend Michelle has a theory, a theory born of long and entangled romantic experience. In a nutshell, it goes, when you're going to leave them, they know. This same theory applies to creative recovery. It occurs when you reach what Michelle calls escape velocity. As she puts it, there's this time for blast off, like a NASA space lounge, and you're heading for it when wham, you draw to you the test. The test? Yeah, the test. It's like when you're all set to marry the, the, this nice guy and the one who treats you right, and then Mr. Poison gets wind off it and phones you up. Ah, oh, sorry. Mr. Poison gets wind of it and phones you up. Ah, the whole trick is to evade the test. We all draw to us the one test that's our total nemesis. A lawyer by trade and a writer by, by avocation and temperament. Michelle is fond of conspiracy theories, which she lays out in sinister detail. Think of it. You're all set to go to the coast on an important business trip, and your husband suddenly needs you, capital N, for no real reason. You're all set to leave the bad job, and the boss from hell suddenly gives you your first raise in five years. Don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. Julia continues, I thought of all the times I've been fooled. There was the agent who managed to undo done deals by apolog but apologized so pettily, prettily, prettily. There was the editor who asked for rewrites upon rewrite until growl was all that remained. Growl. <coughs> Excuse me but who always said I wrote brilliantly as, and was her brightest star. A little flattery can go a long way toward deterring our escape velocity. So can a little cash. More sinister than either is the impact a well-placed doubt can have, particularly uh, for your own good. Just wanting to make sure you've thought about this doubt. Voiced by one of our nearest and dearest, a recovering, as recovering creators, many of us find that every time our career heats up, we reach for our nearest wet blanket. We blurt out our enthusiasm to our most skeptical friend. In fact, we call him up. If we don't, he calls us. This is a test. Our artist is a child, an inner youngster, and when he or she is scared, mommy is what's called for. Unfortunately, many of us have wet blanket mommies and a whole army of wet blanket 
surrogate mommies. Those friends who have our second, third, and fourth thoughts for us. The trick is not to let them be that way. How? Zip the lip, button up, keep a lid on it. Don't give away the gold. Always remember the first rule of magic is self-containment. Containment. You must hold your intention within yourself, soaking it with power. Only then will you be able to manifest what you desire. In order to achieve escape velocity, we must learn to keep our own counsel, to move silently among doubters, to voice our plans only among our allies, and to name our allies accurately. Make a list. Those friends who will support me, make another list. Those friends who won't, name your WBs for what they are, wet blankets. Wrap yourself in something else. Dry ones, fluffy heated towels. Do not indulge or tolerate anyone who throws cold water in your direction. Forget good intentions. Forget they didn't mean it. Remember to count your blessings and your toes. Escape philosophy requires the sword of steely intention and the shield of self-determination. They will try to get you. Don't forget that, warns Michelle. Set your goals and set your boundaries. I would add, set your sights and don't let the auger that looms on the horizon deflect your flight. Go get it, tigers. That was me. That's just that's how it felt. It just came through like that's what she's saying. And we reach to the final part of this chapter, which are the tasks. And the first one says, write down any resistance, angers and fears you have without going on from here. We all have them. Sorry, one more time. Write down any resistance, angers and fears you have about going on from here. We all have them. Number two, take a look at your current areas of procrastination. What are the payoffs in your waiting? Locate the hidden fears. Do a list on paper. Number three, sneak a peek at week one. Core negative beliefs. See pages three to 31 if you have the book. Laugh. Yes, the nasty critters are still there. Note your progress. Read yourself the affirmations that, you, uh, that we had. There is a, a, an episode on the affirmations. They're on page 36, 37, which is chapter one or week one. Write some affirmations about your continued creativity as you end the course. Or you can come up with your own affirmation. Number four, mend any mending. Number five, repot any pinched and languished plants, languishing plants. Number six, select a gold jar. Uh, sorry, select a god jar. A what? A jar. A box, a vase, a container, something put, to put your fears, your resentments, your hopes, your dreams, your worries into. Number seven, use your god jar. Start with your fear list from task one above. When worried, remind yourself it's in the jar. God's got it. Then take the next action. Number eight. Now check how. Honestly, what would you most like to create? Open-minded, what oddball paths would you dare to try? Willing, what appearances are you willing to shed to pursue your dream? Number nine, 
List five people you can talk to about your dreams and with whom you feel supported to dream and then plan. Number 10. Reread this book. Share it with a friend. Remember that the miracle is one artist sharing with another. Trust God. Trust yourself. And she ends with good luck and God bless you. So here we come to the end of our week 12 chapter. There is a creativity contract that I will record in a different separate episode so that you can um, fill out and have. There are some other uh, material um, at the end of the book as well, which I will go through and I will add um, if I find them absolutely crucial to your path to this. And I wish you an amazing journey. And remember, you can always come back here and do the artist way again, if you like, in a few months and have a completely new and different experience with it. So um, I wish you all the best, the creators of our world, of our time, beyond time. Namaste and thank you. Mm-hmm.